0: And welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm
1: Kate Baloo. I'm not really sure when we decided to do a small spell episode, or even the terminology around it, but we get a lot of messages in our inbox and DMs asking for the building blocks of a ritual or spell work practice, you know, how to do small spells, which is hard to say, (laughs) and simple spells, and so I think this episode was in part inspired by that. Once I started writing and reading and thinking about what a small spell was, the more I wondered if any spell is indeed small. You know what I mean?
0: I'm happy you said that because what do we mean by small? Is it a 5-10 to minute ritual or one that requires no tools other than the mind, body, and will of a magical being? Or is it a small gesture that packs a punch?
1: Yes to all of this. There are so many spells really everywhere you look and I feel like even behind the most what we would call small spells has to be a mighty will and ultimately the belief that whatever the intention of the spell is has already come to pass. These sorts of small seeds or intentions can grow a number of blossoming flowers or tall trees, but it got me thinking about the simplicity of certain magic and maybe how these small or secret simple tricks are a sort of hidden key to a large world of magic.
0: I love that. It gives us something really valuable to build off of.
1: Yeah, a simple and small spell that I really love is writing wishes on bay leaves and burning them in a ritual fire or bonfire if you can, but a candle and a burn bowl if not. And to do this, you sit with the bay leaf, become clear on the seed or intention, what you'd like to release or manifest, what you can already see becoming clear and present in your mind's eye and then write a word or draw a sigil, whatever resonates with you, directly onto the bay leaf. You can then burn the bay leaf, this ancient symbol of wisdom and prosperity, knowing and trusting that your wish will come true.
0: They truly are wishing leaves too, right? And Mm -hmm. really easy to use if you're into kitchen witchery as well. Anytime I make soup, which is pretty often, I'll pull two leaves from the tree in our yard and etch a few words into them before adding it to the pot.
1: I love that and I'm so jealous that you have a bay leaf tree. (laughs) (laughs) It's a gift. (laughs) It really is and I think what you're saying it really speaks to how varied magic can be. Like if a few ingredients resonate with you, you can Work with them in a variety of ways, whether you're burning it or adding it to your kitchen magic, etc. Another simple, small spell I love is working with salt for protection, and I think that this also kind of speaks to that varied approach sometimes when I feel like there's a bit of a heavy presence, unwanted energy, or after there's been a disagreement in my apartment, sorry, Cody, (laughs) I like to sprinkle a little salt. And this sort of protection spell can be used in a few different ways. Like once I was dealing with kind of what felt like a volatile presence in my space. And so I used a whole salt circle, While other times, I use one of my favorite ceramic bowls and include a bit of salt at each of the doors, saying a little blessing over them. The fun thing about working with salt in this way is that you can add different additional elements to the spells, whatever most resonates with your intention for you. Sometimes I may burn a little cedar over the salt, an incredibly protective herb and guide in my life or maybe bless the salt on my altar while burning a black candle and the salt can be more transient as well it can be tossed over your shoulder or sprinkled on the floor and swept outside with the bad energies depending on your practice maybe research how your ancestors used salt or what symbols of protection they had and craft your simple and small spell from there
0: I know that you also like to use salt in the shower as a purifying agent, right?
1: yeah especially when I was commuting every day on the subway here and I know we mentioned this in our water episode but I shower with like Dr. Teal's lavender epsom salt to kind of just remove anything that I may have picked up during the day my friend Liza taught me to say that which is on me is not of me as I cast off those energies plus I think a hot shower is just the most magical thing ever I
0: agree (laughs) And speaking of water, all three of my spells deal with charging water for spell work.
1: I love that. I remember especially around our La Bafana episode, we got a bunch of messages asking exactly how to bless or charge water, so I can't wait to hear your take.
0: Yes, and so many of our listeners ask for step-by-step guides um, when we talk about spells, so I'm going to try and do my best here. I know that we just did an episode on water magic last month. But instead of talking about wells and springs as liminal spaces, today I want to get a little bit sciency and talk about how receptive water is to vibration and how well it holds energy and a charge. And it probably goes without saying that charging water is nothing new to most witches. We've likely all heard of moon water, which is made by placing a jar of water outside during a specific moon phase to absorb the moonlight or lack thereof if it's a dark moon. Some of us have also probably made sun tea, which is a good example of a solar charged beverage. So if we're looking to harness some of the sun's power, you know, passion, stamina, or another fiery emotion, solar charging is the way to go. And while I won't go into specifics, we can also harness energy from other cosmic events like eclipses or the arrival of equinoxes, solstices, etc. to charge water. But we can also charge water with vibration, whether that be music, certain tones or frequencies, singing bowls, reiki, crystals, or simply by tapping into the earth energy beneath our feet. By letting divine earth or cosmic energy flow through our body, with practice, we learn to direct and funnel that energy into our hands, and then can direct it into whatever we want, in this case, a glass of water. I just finished reading Damian Eccles' book, High Magic, a few months ago, which I absolutely recommend, by the way, if you're interested in ceremonial magic, but there's this great passage that talks about the power of water. It says, quote, Virtually everyone knows the power inherent in water. It can create hydroelectric power and carve canyons, to name just a couple of examples. But fewer people are aware of just how well water holds energy. This is wonderful in a way, but also quite unfortunate when traumatic things occur. For example, when someone drowns in a body of water that doesn't move, a pond or lake, for example, whatever fear they experienced upon death will charge that water and make future tragedies more likely to occur. The horror has infused the water and will attract similar energies until the charge is nullified, altered, or dissipated. On the other hand, water's tendency to hold a charge makes it excellent for healing and fundamental transformation, which is why fluids such as water, juice, and wine play such an important role in religious acts of communion. Ideally, communion is about ingesting divine light and having it work on you on the cellular level, and that can occur because the fluid has been charged in a particular way. You can do the same thing in a less official way by charging water, drinking it so that it becomes an actual part of your physical body, and having the energy to infuse your aura with that particular blessing. End quote. And after I read the first part of that passage, all I could think about was how many Lady in the Lake and Haunted Lake stories there are in folklore and also real life. I immediately thought of the Netflix series The Haunting of Bly Manor, which I know is old now and probably everyone has seen it, but if you haven't and you like spooky stories, watch it. But anyways, so much of the darkness in that story isn't held in the massive, creaky old house like you'd think, but within the lake on the property.
1: I loved that show so much, and Cody and I still even talk about the Haunting of Hill House. Like, my sister has nightmares about the Bentneck Lady. It's just, yes, worth a watch, both of them.
0: Oh, I get it. She's quite memorable. And while I like to charge my drinking water, we can also charge our bath water if we need extra help unwinding or if we have specific aches or pains. We can charge a bucket of water for purification or protection or beauty and then mop and scrub our house with it. We can charge water for cooking, for making coffee, for feeding our plants and animals or as an offering for ancestors. We humans are so reliant on water, so the possibilities really are limitless. So all that being said, how do we charge water? One of my favorite ritual tools is a large singing bowl that vibrates to the energy centers in the heart and solar plexus. So if I'm at home, I will get a glass jar fill it with water, and place it on like a face cloth or a piece of fabric inside of the bowl. I know some people like to fill the bowl itself with water, and I would do that maybe if my bowl was smaller or if it was quartz or if I wasn't planning on drinking the water but using it in another way. But because my bowl is a mixture of brass and I think like five other metals, no matter how well you clean the bowl, it always makes your water tastes sort of metallic, but of course the choice is yours. So usually I will get comfortable, place the bowl in front of me, put the jar inside of the bowl, strike the rim of the bowl gently to get a tone going, and then use the mallet to circle the rim to hold and manipulate the vibration. I'll usually do this for about five to ten minutes, all the while focusing on my intention, deep rhythmic inhales and exhales, and visualizing how this charged water will nourish me and then i drink my potion another method to charge water and i hate to refer to it as the lazy witch's way so i'll call this one <laughs> i'll call this one a more passive approach but for this method i use music the music should reflect our intention of course but classical music or frequencies like the solfeggio frequencies produce some really beautiful patterns so that's a great place to start you can go online and search sand vibration patterns or something like that to get a better idea of which sound produces which pattern and then go from there. So like before, I'll get a glass jar, fill it with water, but this time I'll place the jar on my altar and then set a speaker right next to it. I'll put on whatever music aligns with the energy I'm drawing in, and sometimes I'll even choose a guided meditation or recording of mantras. I also like to surround the water and speaker with quartz crystals to really amp things up. I'll leave the jar there for at least an hour. So I like to do this in the morning as I get ready, you know, making tea, wash my face, and then drink the water before I sit down to work or sometimes as a midday pick me up.
1: I love this. I keep a tuning fork on my desk and I think it's such a wonderful way to infuse whatever I'm working on, food, water, or just myself in the space.
0: Yes, I'm glad you mentioned tuning forks because there are so many other tools that we can use to produce and direct vibrations other than singing bowls and music. So listeners, don't be afraid to get creative. The last method I wanted to share for charging water is I think the most labor or mentally intensive method, but if anyone out there is familiar with energy work or is looking to strengthen that aspect of their craft, this one's for you. For this method, I want to mention that we won't be charging water with our personal energy, because that would likely leave us feeling depleted, especially if this is something we want to do regularly. So instead, we'll be tapping into the earth energies beneath our feet and the divine energy up above. We can call it god energy, goddess, universal energy, spirit, cosmic light, the cauldron in the sky, collective consciousness, whatever feels right to you. And one last note before i get into the details i do not claim this ritual as my own there's a version of it in the high magic book i mentioned earlier it appears in kundalini and chakra work if you're into crystal gritting which i love uh, you might know something similar and it's also something that anyone with a regular meditation practice will probably be familiar with in some sense so for this approach i recommend either going outside maybe sitting, leaning against a tree, or you can be inside at your altar. If you're doing this inside, I would recommend using some extra elements. You know, put out a new altar cloth, decorate your altar in a way that mimics the energy you're calling in. So for example, if you're generating a frequency of love, sprinkle some rose petals, etch a sigil into a pink candle and light it, maybe burn some basil and rosemary, put on an outfit that makes you feel like the powerful witch that you are. And it might just be because I'm a word witch, but I would also suggest writing your intentions or a mantra on a piece of paper to keep yourself focused during the ritual. And again, you can do all of this outside with nothing more than yourself in a glass of water. When you're ready, rub your hands together for a few minutes and then hold the jar of water in front of you we'll start with some breath work, not only to help us focus and eliminate stressors, but because when we take deep rhythmic inhales and exhales, we're drawing more energy into and through our physical body and also our etheric body. There are so many different options when it comes to breath work, but I'm a fan of the fourfold breath, which is a technique used in pranayama yoga, meditation, and ritual, of course. And it's easy. Inhale for a count of four, hold for a count of four, exhale for a count of four, hold for a count of four, and then repeat. So we're holding the glass, we're breathing, now it's time to do some visualizing. We can either imagine a white light beaming down from the sky and into our crown, or if we're drawing up earth energy, we can imagine a white light emanating from the ground into our feet. If we're outside leaning against a tree, we can visualize a circuit going from the tree roots into our feet, up through our body, out our head, and into the top of the tree, back down to the roots. I think it's important to note that even though we call it visualizing, and, you know, I'm saying to imagine, I'm doing air quotes when I say imagine here, so even though I'm saying to imagine these light sources moving through our body, Subtle energies are very real, even if they're outside of the light spectrum humans can perceive. Typically, I'll spend at least 10 minutes sitting just like I described, breathing, welcoming this light into my aura, and seeing it cycle through my body. If we're familiar with chakras or the energetic nodes throughout the body, we can focus on their colors as we're doing this, seeing them light up and expand as we flood them with healing vibrations. After we feel that we've drawn in enough energy, we speak our intention or mantra aloud, and I actually do this several times. And then we focus on seeing and feeling all that light moving to our arms, into our hands, and finally seeping into the water. And I have one more little note here, and that is learning to feel, see, and sense energy is not something that comes easily to most people, so this ritual may take a bit of practice. But usually even if you're not feeling the energy in the moment, know that it's there, and usually the water speaks for itself, so give it a try. And a bonus is, since this small spell incorporates breath work and a mini meditation, you'll feel very relaxed after doing it.
1: That's an important reminder, and also, I can't wait to try it myself. (laughs) It reminds me of something my Aunt Lauren taught me when I was growing up. When I went over to her house, I remember that her jug of water in the fridge always had a bunch of words and positive affirmations written on it, and she explained to me that this was a way to positively charge her drinking water. So I came across the work of Dr. Masaru Emoto later, the renowned Japanese philosopher and scientist who spent a lifetime studying the molecular structure of water from different sources around the world. And his work is just another piece of the puzzle showing that water is not simply an essential hydrator and solvent, but deeply associated with our individual and collective consciousness. Emoto's experiments exposed water to what are considered positively and negatively charged words, music and intentions, and then flash froze those water molecules for viewing under a high-powered microscope. Definitely worth taking a look at.
0: Your aunt sounds like somebody I'd like to hang out with. Also Dr. Emoto. But adding to what you were saying, I have this book called Vibrational Medicine by Dr. Richard Gerber and it's amazing for anyone interested in subtle energies, both from a scientific and spiritual standpoint. It's one of the books that really sold me on the healing power of crystals and also water. It talks about a lot of different studies, but the ones that always stand out to me deal with plants. Go figure. In one of these studies, Gerber talks about how a scientist, Dr. Bernard Grad, had people lay hands on a glass container of water to charge it. And there were two groups. One was a group of healers and psychics who specialized in energy healing, and the second group was a group of individuals who were clinically depressed. His goal was to see how well water charged by the two different groups would germinate barley seeds, and wouldn't you know it, the seeds treated with water energized by healers germinated quickly and grew to greater heights and with a higher chlorophyll content, mm. whereas the water from the other group actually suppressed the growth rate of the seeds. If I go on anymore, it's going to get really science but... There's a lot more to this study because it appears that there were measurable physical changes in the molecular structure of the water after having people lay hands. So yeah, water is a pretty magical and receptive tool.
1: Yeah, and you know, I also just love when science and witchcraft are friends. (laughs) I think it really just shows how important mindset is when we're working through things. You know, as a witch with anxiety and depression, there are definitely times when I'm like, okay, so no spellcasting today, but that's just me as a human being also, you know, sometimes I'm not doing, but just being, and that's important too, so I think during these times, like, if I'm wanting to tap into that practice, I ask myself how I can use magic, you know, on top of therapy, to care for myself instead until I'm in that space where I can set my intentions and have a clear mind, you know, sometimes I'm just walking around like I am the spell myself, and that's enough. Like, what does it feel like to be a spell in human form? And it's pretty magical. And that's not to say that I wait to feel cured or something because that's not really realistic. As with all things, there's an ebb and flow to that. And so it's just important to check in with yourself and to take care of yourself. And also just because you're dealing with human embodied experiences doesn't mean that you can't practice just thought that it was important to mention.
0: Yeah, and I love that viewpoint. We definitely don't want anyone thinking that they always have to be happy or in a perfect mood to practice their craft. It's more about forging a relationship with our mind, body, and spirit, and learning what works best for us.
1: A hundred percent. So last but not least for me, for my small spells, is the practice of after the spell which also feels like a spell in my work. I feel like after we do spells, we're left with ash, water, scraps, and other remnants from our practice. And I've heard so many different pieces of advice here, so I would love to hear what you think, Kristen. But when these spells are complete, I love to offer the remnants and some back to the earth or water, depending on where I am. You know, I've given altar water to my mugwort plant, or I've buried the ashes from a releasing ritual into the earth in the park. I've given herbs to a river, and I've given blessings and intentions back to the earth and asked them to be transformed into flowers somewhere. I feel like these simple spells, spells of offerings, can help imbue our practice with gratitude and with a reminder of connection. So with every ask, there is a gift, and so forth. Usually, I'll give a prayer, a strand of hair, or sprinkle of herbs along with the items from my spell. I've even buried precious stones or rocks, depending on what the situation called for. The spell of reciprocity can serve to remind us that we exist in a web of things, which when I'm practicing magic is always real and present for me.
0: Yes, I love all of this. And I just have to say that offerings like what you're talking about, even ones that we consider leftovers from ritual, are still really potent especially since giving and receiving go hand in hand from an energetic standpoint.
1: Absolutely. And this sort of gratitude practice has been cultivated and celebrated for centuries. So it's nothing new, but I love taking a moment for it. So thank you, Kristen. And thank you, listeners, for being here today to talk simple, small, expansive spells with us.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lisenby and Kate Ballew. You can find us online at Alchemy and at K8Ballew. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram, at tamedwild, or on the blog
1: magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode where Kristen and I interview wild wisdom witch, Maya Toll. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it, so mote it be, or something better. Until next time.